broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hey, Las Vegas. How you doing today? Great to have you with us here on 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. I am Crystal Heath. You can call me the Frittle. This is the Frittle Show. We're starting the program today. Uh, I had planned to do the entire hour about uh, North Korea and the Olympics and dealing with some of the propaganda that we've been seeing there. But before uh, we get into that, there was um, some absolutely horrifically tragic, heartbreaking news out of Florida yesterday. Um I'm sure you've probably heard about it. We don't have a whole lot of updates at this point on the Florida high school shooting. We know that 17 people were killed in that incident. A young man by the name of Nicholas Cruz has been charged with the shooting. Uh, Fox News reported that uh, he was a previous student at the school. He was known as the weird kid and the loner. He was expelled for getting into a fight uh, with his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend. Uh, He's currently 19 years old. Um, He was taken into custody without incident. Police believe this was premeditated, and there is going to be a police press conference this morning uh, in regards to the shooting and any developments. Um... And I say this morning because those of you that are listening live, we broadcast live from 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific time. That press conference has not yet happened. It will probably happen towards the end of this program, so I won't have any information uh, updated from that press conference for you. If you're listening this evening, you may know more information. If you're listening to the rerun and you're like, well, no, we know more than that. It's because when I record the program for the evening, it's actually a recording of our live uh, morning show. Um, The motive is not immediately clear. But uh, it is believed at this point that this was premeditated. Uh, Those who knew him say they are not incredibly surprised that he would do something like this. They say he was obsessed with guns and knives. Uh, His social media profile has been said to be very disturbing and dark. Um, And this is just a a very disturbed young man. Um, And the, the heartbreak... For these families, this shooting was more deadly than Columbine. Um, and we we could talk about we could talk about the political ramifications here. And a lot of people have been doing that, will be doing that. You know, do you? I, I was talking with my brother about this yesterday, and it's just it's. It's so tragic for this community. They lost 17 individuals. Most of them young people, not even 18 years old. They have parents and siblings and friends who are in deep, unthinkable mourning right now. And yet we have media outlets on both sides of the aisle presenting their own political perspective on the matter. I'm not going to do that today. We try not to do that on this program, particularly when something like this has just happened. Um, I'd be happy to share with you my thoughts in person and 
maybe tomorrow or next week we might talk about some of the political ramifications of this. Um, all I all I will say to that regard right now is that we should keep in mind that this public high school was in fact a gun-free zone, and so laws were already being broken. It is illegal to shoot people, and it is illegal to shoot people to even carry a firearm in this school. Um, I my my thought would be I think we've reached a point where we need to be willing to collectively have a conversation because we need to do something to at least attempt to stop incidents like this from happening. And I, I think that we should, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if individual states start looking at the potential for putting armed uh, security in each one of our public schools. And I think that could be a not necessarily a solution, but possibly a better deterrent than a sign that says gun-free zone. I'm not going to go into more of that today. Again, I just don't think that it's necessary right now. I think that everyone uh, on whatever side of the gun issue you fall is probably very passionate about it. I'm guessing your conviction one way or another hasn't changed based on this incident and likely won't. So instead of arguing more vehemently for whichever side of the gun control issue that we are on, I think right now what we should be doing is praying for these families, praying for the friends of these students, praying for the siblings, the parents, the children. Even one of the victims was their high school, was their their uh, their assistant football coach, who was also their security guard. He was sitting in his office. Uh, when he got news and was last seen shielding uh, students, taking bullets to his own body to save other students' lives. The, uh, the testimonies about what he did are just incredible. Coach Aaron Feiss, being called one of the genuinely greatest people to walk this earth. He jumped in front of bullets to save students' lives. I'm guessing that wasn't how he and his wife planned to celebrate Valentine's Day. There is real heartbreak happening in Florida, and it is not time for us to dig into a political trench and use this tragedy as a soapbox for a political perspective. I'm not saying that nothing should be done or that we shouldn't look at solutions. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the timing is incorrect. Also yesterday we had a shooting uh, at Fort Meade which you may or may not have heard about, but three individuals were injured at Fort Meade uh, early yesterday when the driver of an SUV attempted to enter the NSA compound, the National Security Agency compound. There was a driver and two passengers in the black SUV. They were taken into custody. This happened uh, in Fort Meade is near 
uh, Baltimore. A spokesman for the FBI's Baltimore field office said late Wednesday that investigators are examining the possibility that the driver might have made a wrong turn into the complex, but that is not the only theory uh, they are considering, according to the Baltimore Sun. Injured were an NSA police officer, the driver of the SUV, and a civilian bystander. Um, I don't... uh, The incident is described as being isolated. They do not believe there's any indication that this incident is related to terrorism. The shots were fired during the incident, but they don't believe that any of the injuries sustained in this incident were caused by the gunfire. He would not say who opened fire, but he did say that it appeared the gunfire was directed at the vehicle. So they're saying... um, that they're being talked to. They're trying to understand who they are. There are no life-threatening injuries, and uh, it did not make it onto the NSA compound. There were shots fired. Appears to be at the vehicle, but nothing, nothing more than that at this point. They don't believe it's related to terrorism. Don't know what it is. I have a little bit of a hard time believing that you just make a wrong turn into the NSA, but... I suppose that is a possibility. So those were some headlines from yesterday uh, that I felt we needed to address and we needed to talk about before moving on into what I what I had planned to talk about today, which is the Olympics and Korea and what's been happening there and the brilliantly displayed propaganda by the North Koreans. Um, So we will do that. We will talk about all of those things when we return in just a few moments. Don't go away. All right, so let's talk about the Olympics as they continue the Winter Olympics. (laughs) So much has been happening with the Winter Olympics. Um, I don't even know where to begin. But let's start with with P.F. Chang's... um, it was this this it's pretty much priceless so a tv station in chicago someone who created the graphic for their olympics reporting confused pyeongchang where the olympics are being held in south korea that's the name of the city and they had they used the olympic logo but instead of pyeongchang they had P.F. Chang, 2018. I'm not sure um, how when you're a graphics artist that you would... Actually, I I can understand, actually, somewhat how you could confuse Pyeongchang with P.F. Chang's if you just, you know, Googled it. Um, Especially if you spelled it incorrectly. If you spelled Pyeongchang incorrectly when you Googled, I could see how P.F. Chang's would come up and you'd be like, oh, there it is, okay. The station is saying that it was accidental, and uh, they, they they did not um, they did not mean for it to appear at the time that it did. It was made as a joke for something else that the station was doing, and it was accidentally swapped, quote unquote, with another logo, according to the Chicago Tribune. The reporter and the station have, of course, apologized. And P.F. Changs has tweeted to clarify any confusion that contrary to the broadcast, they are not actually hosting the Olympic Games. So now you know if you were confused 
the <laughs> the Olympics are not actually at your local PF Chang's because I'm pretty sure everyone was was confused about that one. All right, medal count updated. Norway has overtaken Germany for the lead in the most medals, but Germany maintains the most gold medals at nine for a total of 15. Canada has a total of 13 medals. The Netherlands has 12. United States has eight. That's the top five as it currently stands. Japan is right on our heels. They have seven medals. We are currently, however, tied for third in the gold medal race with the Netherlands. We each have five. Norway has six Germany has nine. So now you know the updated medal count. Uh, of course, we talked about Chloe Kim yesterday and how she just stole the show with snowboarding and her incredible story of, uh, of her parents immigrating to the United States from South Korea, qualifying for the Olympics four years ago, but being too young to go. And, uh, and then this year, of course, taking the gold medal just an incredible story she and her family have. Fast forward, then we had Sean White snowboarding. Absolutely incredible run. I think it was Tuesday night. It was either Monday or Tuesday night this week. Uh, and the way snowboarding works, they get three runs, and their best score is the one that counts. Sean White was last to board knew what he needed to take gold. I believe he was sitting in second before his or silver medal position when he went and just an absolutely perfect, well, not perfect because he didn't score 100, but I'm telling you, I don't know what it was that was not perfect because his final run was absolutely amazing. As an American sitting there, I was... I have never been so interested in snowboarding in all of my life except for a few nights prior when Chloe Kim did basically the same thing on the women's side. But man, it was just amazing to see and he his emotion when he finished and like it was just like, yes. I, I can't tell you. If you didn't watch it, you don't even have to like snowboarding. You don't have to like the Olympics. Like when you see something like that as an American, I don't know what it is, but you just you swell up a little bit and uh I don't really know why we do this because yes, we have somebody that can go down the mountain on a piece of carbon fiber better than your person can. I, so I don't know why we do that, but it just still makes you feel like, oorah, America. Like, it just is so amazing to watch. Um, and so there was this 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 high point for Sean White, and all of America is is celebrating, at least those of us that were watching the Olympics, and it was just such an incredible moment. Then he gets handed the flag, and he drapes in the flag, and everybody's like, yeah! And then, in his overwhelmed emotional state, I believe, he almost seems to forget that he's holding the flag, goes over to pick up his board, he's overcome with emotion, and the flag touches the ground. But not only does it touch the ground, but he then proceeds to drag it along with him because he's got it now in his hand underneath the board dragging his flag he even stepped on it at one point as he was walking out and the moment of incredible jubilation turned into ah! no and i and i was standing there and i was watching and i was like oh my goodness oh my goodness pick it up pick it up pick it up and as i was watching it if you watched the whole segment, it did not appear to me in any way that he was attempting to be disrespectful. To me, it appeared that he literally seems to have forgotten 
that he has the flag because he's just so overwhelmed in that moment. And it's not that he's trying to make a statement. It's not that he's trying to be disrespectful. I think he legitimately didn't even realize what he was doing in that moment. And to be perfectly honest, I I can't really fault him for that because I've never won an Olympic gold medal. But I think I would probably be completely overwhelmed as well, especially if you know his story and uh, and and what the last Olympics to this Olympics. Now, he was uh, he was publicly decried by the country and pretty much rightfully so like according to the flag code and by the way you're there representing america don't drag our flag i mean it's one thing if the flag touches the ground accidentally or whatever while you're picking up your snowboard but don't drag it behind you and definitely don't step on it but sean white issued an apology and uh, said he he said I remember being handed the flag, but I was trying to put my gloves on and hold the flag and get my board. Honestly, if there was anything that happened, I definitely didn't mean any disrespect. This was a this was he was talking to reporters like pretty much immediately afterwards and was like I didn't even know. And he said the flag that's flying on my house right now is way up there. I'm so sorry for that. I'm definitely proud, very proud to be a part of Team USA and being an American and to be representing, uh, and for me to be representing everyone back home so i i don't think i don't think it was intentional i understand the outrage because it's a very sensitive topic the flag for our country right now um but i don't think in sean white's case regardless of what you think of him as a person or whatever i don't think he was intentionally trying to be disrespectful and i believe that his apology reflects that as well and i think if you watched it you understand that the moment if you if you watch this happen live, the whole thing and the build up and then his overwhelmed emotional state, I I tend to think he's most likely telling us the truth. And sometimes maybe we should if we gave more people the benefit of the doubt, we wouldn't be in the state that we are today, or at least not as far as we are. So that was that was those were the big stories um, as far as actual competition for Americans this week, but there was another big story, actually quite a few, and I don't know. I'm hoping that we'll get these all in here, in the time that I have, but we'll see. So we had the opening ceremonies. There's the drone show. It's amazing. And the countries are marching in. It's so cool. Like, I just, I love the Olympics. I think it's so cool. But the big story of the opening ceremonies were that North Korea and South Korea decide to join together and enter the stadium united. So athletes from North and South Korea march together behind a unified unification flag during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. You may have seen it. Uh, the North Korean cheerleaders in particular were using these flags. They were white with a blue uh, uh, representation of Korea without it being split in half. So the two countries marched in together wearing white uniforms. Uh, that's how they came into the games. But they're competing in the games as separate countries with their own uniforms, their own flags, their own anthems, except for their women's hockey team. Technically, the North and South Koreans remain in a state of war because their three-year conflict uh, in, the, in the early 1950s ended in an armistice rather than a peace treaty. So technically, the two countries are still at war. The North Koreans have about 50 athletes, South Korea about 400 
The North Koreans agreed to march with the South Koreans because they said they didn't see a need for two national flags because the country's ultimate goal is unification. South Korea is trying to have a peace treaty. Um, some South Koreans want to reunite with the North. I don't understand all of the politics that happened there. But here's, here's what I can tell you. So North and South Korea, they come together for entry into this stadium in the ceremonial ceremony. <laughs> I realize that was a terrible sentence and I apologize. But they're competing separately except in women's hockey. And by the way, the women's hockey coach is required to include three North Korean players on the ice at all times. Here's, here's what I can tell you. North Korea is not a happy place. right? I have hopefully two more segments after this one. And in our final segment, we'll talk about some of the human rights violations of North Korea. But the essential part that you need to understand is that North Korea is a communist dictatorship that is both brutal and inhumane. It is not a land of peace or prosperity, but of persecution, both religious and political. Freedom is not a thing in North Korea. And the North Koreans and the South Koreans, like I said, they never officially ended their war and for decades have lived as enemies. So this move of coming in together, into the Olympics together, and of the South even allowing the North Koreans to complete, to com- to compete, uh, has been hailed by many around the world as a great step forward uh, for diplomacy. So there are many countries that applauded this move that think it's fantastic, amazing, yay, peace in Korea. So that's what's going on. Enter the United States via Vice President Mike Pence. So the Korean delegation comes in. The Koreans stand and applaud. Other countries stand and applaud. Vice President Pence and the Second Lady do not stand or applaud when the joint Korean contingency entered the stadium. And the world goes crazy, particularly American media. Now, this is a really tricky one to break down, except it's not at all. So let's talk about what the media is telling you happened in this moment, and then we'll talk about what actually happened. Sound good? Okie dokie. Here we go. Let's, we got we to do a flashback, though, okay? For you to understand why this has been taken with such outrage in many perspectives, we got to back up, and we got to talk about American football. Do you remember this at the beginning of the last football season, like before the Patriots were defeated in the Super Bowl, before that happened, before the Eagles became champions, guy go, back it up, back it up. Football season, 2017-2018, NFL season begins. We have, I believe it was, a grand total of six NFL players who were continuing the previous year's worth of a handful of players that were kneeling during the national anthem. So the, the season opens, we have four to six players that are protesting in some way or another during the anthem. Either by kneeling or by sitting, by raised fist, whatever. President Trump then, I believe, threw gasoline on what would have been a smoldering fire and expressed his thoughts and opinion on this matter. I don't think that his opinion was incorrect. I agree with him. I think that everyone, regardless of your political views about anything, should be standing for our flag. But I did a whole episode on that whole 
aspect of that issue, and I'm not going to rehash it. If you want to listen to it, you can go over to SoundCloud or iTunes, find my old episode about the NFL protests. I go into what I think happened there in detail. But so the president gets involved and suddenly it became the thing in football for many, many, many weeks. So it becomes, it, it essentially became a Trump versus the NFL thing. Again, I'm not going to rehash why I believe that is the case, but I do believe that the reason the protests became so much more viral is because the president got involved. I'm not going to, again, not going to go into all my thoughts. Go listen to my podcast. But so the president gets involved, it becomes president versus uh, players, and this whole thing is going on. Mike Pence then is now vice president. He goes to an Indianapolis Colts game, as he did many times when he was governor of uh, Indiana. There's all the fanfare, there's all the cameras, and I believe, you know, the anthem comes on, everything is good, but three players at that game, I think it was three, decided to kneel. And the vice president stood up and left the football game. Afterwards, it was reported that the president asked the vice president to leave if there were kneeling players, and the VP following the the game issued a statement which said, I left today's Colts, Colts game because President Trump and I will not dignify any event that disrespects our soldiers, our flag, or our national anthem. At a time when so many Americans are inspiring our nation with their courage, resolve, and resilience, now more than ever we should rally around our flag and everything that unites us. While everyone is entitled to their own opinions, I don't think it's too much to ask NFL players to respect the flag and our national anthem. I stand with President Trump, I stand with our soldiers, and I will always stand for our flag and our national anthem. What does this have to do with the Olympics, right? I'm supposed to be talking about the Olympics? I know. Okay, here's why I needed to touch on that. Because there are many that are making the argument that by not standing for the Korean team at the Olympics, what the vice president was effectively communicating is that not standing up during a ceremonial event is one way to protest something unrelated to the event itself. You may find that spot on, or you may find that ridiculous. You may think there is no correlation. You may think it correlates exactly. Either way, it's a big deal in the world of news this past week. Is the vice president, by not standing, actually contradicting himself? And leftists in particular, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they're super duper fast to call out anything they seem hip- they deem uh, hypocritical in Republicans or conservatives. So I read all these headlines and comments all over social media and major news outlets at the outrage uh, and, and, and the just all this outrage at Pence for not standing for the Koreans. And at first I was like, yeah, wow, maybe that was not the wisest of political moves. I mean, if it had been only the North Koreans coming in, I get it. You don't stand up. But to not stand for South Korea, our ally, who oh, might be playing with fire a little bit right there. And then I got to my computer and I did some actual research of my own rather than just believing what was being spewed to me on the various media outlets. And I discovered the very inconvenient truth that no one seemed to be reporting. And that is that Vice President and Second Lady Pence did not stand for any country other than the United States. They didn't stand for the UK. They didn't stand for Canada. They didn't stand for Israel. They didn't stand for anyone who was not Team USA. And suddenly the whole thing didn't seem so outrageous after all. In fact, it didn't seem outrageous at all could the vice president have stood for other countries sure but he didn't and he doesn't have to and that's okay if pence had stood for the u.s and the combined korean teams and no others i feel like that would be a problem as well because then are you standing then you have to explain why you stood like 
obviously you're standing for the United States. But if you stand for no one else and then you stand for the Koreans, does that then mean you're supportive of a united Korea? Which we are not at this point. So it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work diplomatically. So he stood only for the U.S. Now, he did do some strategically worded tweeting about this whole thing. Um, let me see here. I gotta find it. He, ta- he, he tweeted many times about being at the opening ceremonies, what a privilege it was, what an honor it was to lead the U.S. delegation, wished all the best to our athletes, and then post, uh, post the whole everyone being like, he didn't stand up, he didn't stand up. There were multiple tweets that he issued. One of them said, honored to watch talented American and Korean athletes face off side by side with my friend, President Moon. He and I both reaffirmed our commitment to the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. South Korea stands shoulder to shoulder with the U.S. and our allies. Notice the word stand. I believe it is uh, one, two, three tweets later. He says, I'm grateful for the strong relationship between the U.S. and South Korea. We're going to stand solidly with South Korea and with all of our allies to continue to bring the maximum pressure to bear on North Korea. And then he goes in and he talks about uh, not rewarding uh, North Korea for talks because it's simply talk. And he talks about the dangers of of just embracing North Korea and how we need to be aware of their... um, of their propaganda machine and so on and so forth. So if you want to read it, it's it's. I think it was brilliantly done. Instead of simply addressing uh, what happened, which he did, he talked about how he ignored, uh, intentionally ignored Kim Jong-un's sister, and we will talk about her in just a few minutes, but we're going to take a break because I need to drink water right now, and therefore... Um, so I don't pull a Marco Rubio on you. I'm going to let you listen to something else. And we will be back in just a few minutes. So we talked about Mike Pence and we talked about the media's collective freakout over his failure to stand for the Korean joint delegation when they entered the opening ceremonies, despite the fact that he stood for no other country besides the United States. Meanwhile... We had Kim Jong-un's sister, Kim Yo-jong. As our media was freaking out over Mike Pence, they were praising Kim Yo-jong. Like, in a nearly unbearable fashion. Don't believe me? Let me read you some headlines, Okay. How about some headlines? Are you ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this, because if you didn't see them, you might be shocked. Here we go. The New York Times had an article titled, Kim Jong-un's sister turns on the charm, taking Pence's spotlight. CNN, Kim Jong-un's sister is stealing the show at the Winter Olympics. The Washington Post said, The Ivanka Trump of North Korea captivates people in the South at the Olympics. Would you like more? I have more. Reuters. North Korea heads for diplomacy gold medal at Olympics. With a picture of Kim Jong, Kim Yo-jung. 
NPR, Kim Yo-jung fascinates and puzzles in South Korea. The Associated Press, at Olympic Games, Kim Jong-un's sister takes VIP seat. Yahoo Sports, all swagger and smiles, Kim Jong-un's mysterious sister gets her star turn at the Winter Olympics. The Daily Beast, Kim Jong-un's little sister steals Pence's thunder and trumps Trump, at least in Seoul. And the list goes on. I could, believe me, I could continue. It was, it was mind-numbingly disgusting how our media collectively praised up one side and down the other Kim Jong-un's sister. Now, she looks like a very nice person. I, I, I hate when we deal with issues like this because it's difficult to present <laughs> truth in love, if you will. But I'm going to try and do that. I'm going to try and do what the mainstream media is not doing, which is presenting any part of the truth. Because the mainstream media would have you believe that Kim Jong-un's sister, by all appearances, is the answer to all the world's problems. She's getting the gold in diplomacy. So I did a little digging to find out who exactly this woman is and if she is indeed worthy of all the praise to heap upon her. Because perhaps she is. Or perhaps she's not. Here's what I found. Kim Yo-jung is the youngest of seven children, a full sibling of and trusted confidant of her brother Kim Jong-un. Kim Yo-jung started her career at the Publicity and Information Department of North Korea. This is the office that manages the news media and public affairs for North Korea. It also manages political education and ideological indoctrination activities. Ideological indoctrination activities. Keep that in mind. In 2017, she was made a member of Politburo, the decision-making arm of the Central Committee of the Workers' Party of Korea. That's just a fancy way of saying she was promoted to a high-ranking position in the dictator's inner circle. Oh, and by the way, uh, according to North Korean analyst Ken Gauz, Kim Yo-jun is also an informant. She is the last line of defense for Kim Jong-un, telling him about the loyalty of his most trusted advisors. She is credited in worldwide with developing her brother's image, which I'm, yeah, I'm not even going to talk about. I'm not, I had something sarcastic to say, I'm going to let it go. And she organizes many, if not most, of the public events in North Korea. Currently, she is listed on the United States Treasury's specially designated nationals list for severe human rights abuses in North Korea. She is literally blacklisted by our government. Now, if you go to South Korean media, some of them praise her, the ones that are more left-leaning and are wanting to reunite with the North, but... For many, they have a much clearer picture of what's going on. There was an editorial in Chosun Ilbo, which is South Korea's newspaper of record, like their prominent newspaper, which said, It would, of course, be wonderful if the Moon Jae-in administration's efforts lead to denuclearization talks, but Kim Jong-un is not sending his people to Pyeongchang to talk about disarmament. He is sending them to weaken sanctions and spread propaganda. 
Let me break it down for you a little more clearly. Kim Yo-jung is the top advisor to the world's most brutal dictator. She literally runs the propaganda operation for a Stalinist regime that holds some 130,000 political prisoners in concentration camps that a renowned Holocaust survivor has compared to Auschwitz. Did you catch that? A renowned Holocaust survivor has compared what is happening in North Korea with the concentration camps they have set up for political prisoners. She runs this. There is no independent media in North Korea. All media is strictly censored. There is zero access to the internet for the vast majority of individuals there. There is no free, pe- free press. You can get arrested and executed, as many were in 2014, publicly executed for possessing a Bible. The government allows no editorial freedom. Uh, there is no foreign media broadcast allowed. No foreign radio broadcast allowed to be listened to. In 2014, a commission of inquiry submitted a 400-page report to the UN Human Rights Council describing atrocities in North Korea, including, and I quote from this commission of inquiry report to the UN, this is what's happening in North Korea. Extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, forced abortions and other sexual violence, persecution on political, religious, racial, and gender grounds, forcible transfer of populations, enforced disappearance, and the inhumane act of knowingly causing prolonged starvation. I'm going to read that again. This is a 2014 report to the UN Human Rights Council. In 400 pages, they summarize, or this is the summary of their 400-page report, that the atrocities in North Korea include, but are not limited to, extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, forced abortions and other sexual violence, persecution on political, religious, racial, and gender grounds, forcible transfer of populations, a.k.a. kidnapping, enforced disappearance, and the inhumane act of knowingly causing prolonged starvation. This woman, who our media is praising, is responsible For propaganda and is responsible for convincing the world that North Korea is a wonderful, happy place. When in reality, she's a top advisor to the world's most brutal de- dictator. And sitting as part of the Politburo, which is overseeing these exterminations, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, and so on. The, uh, the chairman of this 2014 commission, his name is Michael Kirby, and he told the UN that the abuses committed in North Korea are without parallel in the modern world. In 2015, a South Korean report said that between 2000, 
1,400 North Korean citizens were publicly executed as a means to, quote, keep the population in line. And, of course, we could talk about Americans. We could talk about Otto Warmember. We could talk about three American Koreans that are currently imprisoned in this country. And I would encourage you to get to know them. Visit FreeUSA3.com. FreeUSA, the number three, dot com. If you have not been there, you need to go to that website. You need to learn about these three Korean Americans who are being held without trial, without cause, in Korean prisons. One of whom, I believe, is 64 years old and is accused of spreading Christianity in North Korea. FreeUSA3.com. Three American Koreans being held. And Kim Yo-jong, who our media is praising, is literally the PR person for this madness. She is the PR person and the organizer of these public executions, of religious prisoners, of political prisoners, of Americans. She's the PR person for gulags. If, if you're young and you don't know what that means, think political labor camps, Soviet Union style. The human rights violations in Korea have Holocaust-like severity, and this woman is literally blacklisted by the United States for her participation in these human rights violations. There are horror stories that I have chosen not to discuss because this is a family program, but there are moms being forced to drown their own children. There is unspeakable evil being committed against the people of North Korea by their own government. And this woman is the face, and not only the face, but the PR firm for a regime so brutal and so evil that is beyond what I believe we as Americans and most of the Western world can even imagine could be happening in our world today. And yet even with all of these facts... American media hailed her as the princess of North Korea, the Ivanka Trump of North Korea, and said she deserves a gold medal for diplomacy. How do you, how do you equate what is reality with what the media is saying? I can tell you exactly how they add up. And that is that she is very, very good at her job. And her job is propaganda. And American media fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And then there's the cheerleaders. I'm not going to be able to get to everything I want to today, so we'll, we'll finish with the cheerleaders. The cheerleaders for, for North Korea. They did an amazing job overall. If you saw them, it was pretty cool. They were coordinated. They were... They were, they were, they were just... Can I say they were cute? They were really cute to watch. But they, too, are a propaganda piece. They do an excellent job with what they're doing, and I'm not... I'm not but these aren't some nice North Korean girls who were chosen at random or went through an American Idol-type contest to make the team. No, these girls are carefully selected from prominent politically-connected families... Politically-connected families, I'm sorry... Uh, because they are believed to be, one, physically perfect, meeting all of the physical requirements for what Kim Jong-un believes is the perfect North Korean that he can display. And two, 
Because of their connections, they're believed not to be at a risk of defecting while they're out of the country. One of the group's most famous members is Ri Soju, who joined the group when she was 16 years old. She eventually became wife to Kim Jong-un. In 2005, the group performed in South Korea, and after they returned home, 21 members of the cheer squad were sent to prison camps for the crime of simply talking about what they saw when they were in South Korea. These cheerleaders at these games, who our media is also pushing as, look at how awesome North Korea is, it's not really... These cheerleaders are monitored 24-7 by older male, they call them minders. We could call them babysitters. Um, There are other terms that are not family-friendly, which I won't use. But they are reportedly, these women are even supervised when they use the restroom. Doors open. They are never not being observed. They cannot make a move by themselves, they must always be with at least one other North Korean teammate as well as a South Korean government monitor. Oh, and they're North Korean monitors. They're not allowed to interact with strangers. They're not allowed to speak to anyone outside of their delegation. They don't go out anywhere. They're not allowed to see or experience or do anything in South Korea. They are escorted from their hotel rooms to the games, they are escorted from the games back to their hotel, and so on and so forth. The food that they eat, when they eat, they are taken to a hotel that is just 100 steps away from their hotel, and they are always escorted to and from and supervised at those meals by older male North Korean chaperones. Bethany Mandel wrote in the New York Post, and she said this, she said, would it be as satisfying to watch, she's talking about these cheerleaders, if viewers were aware of the torture and death that would await any of those cheerleaders and their families were they to attempt to defect while in South Korea? Would we be so enthralled with the moves if we knew the fate of anyone who makes the mistake of not delivering a perfect performance in the stand, let alone what may happen to those in competition if they don't come home with a medal? These cheerleaders are not paid. They're essentially in slavery, if you will. Modern slavery, mind you, but slavery nonetheless. They have no freedom. And for a media that so champions women's rights, we have done a gross injustice in portraying the North Korean cheerleading squad the way that we have. They're simply, again, a branch of Kim Yo-jong's very very effective charm offensive and propaganda machine when these girls are literally prisoners of their own country. And by the way, they outnumber the athletes North Korea has by 10 to 1. Talk about propaganda. Now, that's all really very sad. But it's something that we need to understand. Because there is propaganda being pushed at us on a daily basis, not only from the North Korea propaganda machine, but by those that are 
I don't want to say falling for it, but quite frankly, they're falling for it. Our own media. We need to know what's actually happening. We need to not just consume what is fed to us. We need to understand facts. And we need to be praying for the people of North Korea because the atrocities that they are living under are unspeakable. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already done so, visit this website, freeusa3.com, and learn about three Korean Americans who are currently being held prisoner miles away from the Olympic Games. Literally miles away from where we are. When we are watching Sean White win a gold medal, miles away across the border, not far, not far at all. There are three Americans being held prisoner for no reason whatsoever. I mean, the North Koreans have presented what they call reasons. but They're all for crimes, political crimes against the state, but we don't know what they are. One of them accused of spreading Christianity in North Korea. So when you're watching the Olympics tonight, when you're cheering on our competitors. Don't forget that just miles from where our athletes are standing, there are families suffering intense persecution. There are Americans being held prisoner. There are people that need our prayers. And that's the very least, I believe, that we can do for them. And then while you're praying, thank God that you get to live in the greatest country in the world where freedom is real. And you have the opportunity not just to live free, but to pursue happiness and to worship God any way you please. Because there is no greater gift I believe that God can give to us today than freedom. Besides, obviously, salvation in Jesus Christ and having our eternal destiny set. But the freedom to live, the freedom to worship that we have is unparalleled in all the world. Thank you for being with us. I've gone over time. I appreciate you listening. Join us for church on Sunday here at Liberty. Our address is 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. We would love to have you and your family here. Our service times are 930 and 1115. Find us online at experienceliberty.com and we will see you back here tomorrow.